All right. If you would like to go back to your seats, we're going to continue on the ministry of the Word of God. tell you what, let's all just stand up. This will be our prayer and our declaration. Thank you, Jesus. And he shall reign. Hold on to the truth, Emmanuel. God is with us. Even right now, you are with us, Lord. This is our comfort. This is our rest. Not only we acknowledge that you are with us, but we acknowledge your authority in our lives, Lord. Also, we acknowledge the authority of your words in our lives. Because of that, we ask you, Father, at this moment, as we just, with open hearts and in the attitude of just of adoration towards you, Lord, we ask that you will pour out your spirit and touch everything, everything about us, Lord, our hearts, our minds, our soul, our emotion, so that we can respond. We know what it is to respond to the truth that is contained in your word. Because it is the only thing that will set us free. Break the wrong mindset. Break the sin in our lives. And make us
Take your seats. Thank you, Joe. <laughs> Man, there is an amazing sense of presence of God, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it's, a, it's an amazing truth, Emmanuel. It's not, Emmanuel is not a New Testament truth only. It's a, it's, it, it is a truth that they came to the earth right from the time of creation. The fact that God wants to be with us, that's powerful. From the time of creation, from the time of deliverance in, 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 in uh, Exodus. God wanted to be with his people. And the, the ultimate fulfillment is that, you know, uh, how in, in, uh, in, in Exodus, God came and in his glory and he wanted to be with his people. So the ultimate fulfillment is in Jesus when in John chapter 1 verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt. You know, the, the word dwelt, a Greek word is eskaneo, means he tabernacles amongst his people. <laughs> he pitched a tent amongst his people. That's beautiful. No other religion can claim that. All in Jesus. Are you ready for the word of God? That's why, you know, Christianity is not a religion. Jesus didn't come into the world to die for a religion. He came to die for people. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Because Christianity is not about form, it's not about system, it's about relationship. That's why Paul warns his, the, uh, Timothy to make sure that, hey, just be careful. You can, you can have the form of godliness but has, that have, have, without the power of it. You know? Holding on to the form of godliness but denies the power. The form is the form is is the expression of the power, but never the power itself. All right, let's turn to the Word of God. Why don't you all turn to John chapter fifteen? I'm gonna start reading from verse one. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away, and every branch. Fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit. 
already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. It is an interesting statement because in chapter 13, when Jesus was washing the, the feet of the disciples, he said, you are clean, but not all of you. He was referring to Judas in chapter 14 when he was And then after Judas walked away, right now Jesus said, all of you are clean because of the word I've spoken to you. And verse 4, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. That verse reminds me of Keith Green's song. Anybody who knows of Keith Green in the Christian? Yeah. Remember his song? He is divine. We are the branches. <laughs> you know, it's a play on word, but you guys don't get it. Okay. Let's just continue. Verse 5. I'm divine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do something. No, nothing, all right? <laughs> I'm tricking you. Apart from me, you can do what? Nothing, absolutely nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. That verse 8, I, I think, is the theme of the whole, the whole passage. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that you may have joy, that your joy, my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command, what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for servants does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you, would, you should go and bear fruit. And that your fruit should remain or abide. So that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. So uh, the, the title of my, is very obvious, my, my sermon this morning is Fruitful Life. And I want to make a statement here. As we read, just read that passage that a fruitful life is a proof that we are a disciple of God. Of Jesus. You can write that down. A fruitful life. We're going to talk about what it means to, be, to have a fruitful life. It is, a, it is the proof that we are a disciple of Jesus Christ. And also, it says that 
It's the kind of life that glorifies God. That's what it says in verse 8. A fruitful life is the life that really glorifies God and a life that proves that we are His disciples. So as we, we've been doing, you know, week after week from John chapter 13, the washing of the feet and then Jesus predicting the, the, the time, what's going to happen. He, he, he was going to be betrayed and Peter was going to be going to deny him. And then and from verse 14, Jesus started to, com- started to comfort the, uh, the disciples with the key word, he said, just believe in me. And uh, he said, I'm going to pre- prepare a place. And the key word is believe in me. So when Thomas asked him, you know, we don't know the way. Well, where are you going? He said, I am the way. And uh, Philip asked, you know, well, you said we know the Father. We don't know the Father. Show us the Father. He said, I am in the Father and my Father is in me. And... Uh, so, uh, in the, the, the these passages, obviously, is a is a an interesting passage, and just just as, as I talk about this, you know, I've, I've got given my, my notes to the cell, the cell leaders. In in the Gospel of John, there are very significant about seven I am statement of of Jesus. In the whole gospel, seven times Jesus uh, disclosed himself with the word I am. John chapter 6, verse, five, verse 35, I am the bread of life. And in that same chapter, verse 51, he said, I am the living bread. In ver- uh, chapter 8, verse 12, he said, I, I am the light of the world. Chapter 10, verse 7, he said, I am the door. Chapter 10, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. Chapter 11, verse 25, at the, at the tomb of Lazarus, he said, I am the resurrection. In chapter 14, verse 6, I am the truth and the life. And in this passage, I am divine. Pretty much... He covers everything. I believe if you read the gospel, we can understand that whatever our issue or our needs will be, you you want to know the way, it's him. Everything we need, it's him. (laughs) You know? You need healing, I am the healer. You need provision, I am your provider. Like, And as we read in the context, I, uh, what puzzled me is this. Chapter 14 to chapter 16, like we talked about last few weeks, is the teaching of the coming of the comforter, the Holy Spirit, the advocate, comforter, the, the, the teacher, all right? And yet, between 14, 14 to 16, slap bang in the middle of that, is this teaching of the vines. Like, you know, hang on, Jesus, you're kind of divert into a uh, into different teaching. Are you going on a different tangent here? 
And I sort of asked the question, why is this vine metaphor in chapter 15 sort of slap bang in the middle of the teaching of the ministry of the Holy Spirit? The possibility is this, because at the end of the teaching of the Holy Spirit in chapter 14, he said, okay, let's go. Let us move from here. So they, they were walking from there, obviously, because the end of, of the trip is the Gethsemane. So between that, they were going through, uh, you know, in, in uh, John chapter 18, verse 1, where it says that they went through, walked through the Kidron Valley, you know, a valley, Kidron Valley. And in that journey, I believe, and many believe, that they were going through, through a, a vineyard. So as Jesus tends to do, he would see, he would see uh, you know, a temple, he start talking about the house of God. He, you know, in, in any situation, he would use uh, those things as, as, uh, as an object lesson and to use them as a metaphor for his teaching. So, uh, but also I believe, why, why in the middle of teaching about the coming of the Holy Spirit and living in the Spirit? Because I believe... When you read further the, the whole teaching or the, this metaphor, I believe what Jesus is trying to communicate is this, that the spirit-filled life is not meant to be like, you know, where once we're spirit-filled, that's it. It's a way on a cruise, sort of, you know, driving a car and push the cruise button where once set, it's done. It's not like that. It is not a static, but it is a spiritual relationship that needs to be nurtured and cultivated. That's what I believe. And also, what Jesus is trying to communicate is that, yeah, I'm teaching you on the Holy Spirit, but spiritual life or spirit-filled life is meant to be something that produces fruit in your life. It's not a passive life. It is an active life that needs to be cultivated, needs to be nurtured where you become fruitful. So, that's why Jesus started teaching. We would see it all in the vineyard. And then he said, I am. You look at those vines, he said, I am the true vine. Now, for the, for the, the, the disciples at that moment, it is, not, it is something that is not unfamiliar to them. The whole vine and vineyard uh, metaphor. Because Israel is... The pit, you know, a vine is, is a picture of Israel, or what, what God intended Israel to be. And this passage, or this statement of Jesus, I am the vine, has the Old Testament background to it. And I believe the disciples would be aware of the, the, the background. And we will find in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 1, and I, I'm going to read it to you. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 1 to, uh, to verse 5 is widely known by the Bible scholars as the song of the vineyard because it talks about the vineyard. That's why I like vineyard music because it goes all the way to the Bible. That's a joke. You know, vineyard music. Okay, let me read Isaiah chapter chapter 5. Okay. <laughs> it, says the, it says here in Isaiah 5 verse 1, let me sing for my beloved my, my, my love song concerning his vineyard. 
He's talking about God as his beloved and God as the owner of the vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted, planted with choicest vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and, he, and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked forward to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now all, all inhabitants of Jerusalem, now God speaking to, to Israel, all him inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, just between me and my vineyard, what more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I look for, for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? Verse 5, and now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its heads and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall and it shall be trampled down. So, in other words, in the Old Testament, God looked to Israel as his agent to bring salvation to the world, and he was hoping to create this, you know, in the time of deliverance, you are a priestly nation. You are a nation of priests, but they didn't bear fruit. So, what Jesus is saying, what he was implying is, listen, the failure of Israel, I am here to fulfill it. Jesus is the embodiment of what whatever Israel failed to do. So that's why, let's go back to the passage. Verse 1 to 5, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. He cuts all, every branch. Just like in Isaiah chapter 51, he destroyed the vine. Every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it. Why? So that it will bear even more fruit. So we have in, uh, in, in this passage, there are three main characters, the Father, Jesus, and the disciples. Three main characters. The Father as the owner and the gardener. Jesus as the vine. And the disciples, you and I, we are the branches. And the father, as the owner of the vineyard, he has an expectation and he expects for fruit to come out of the vine. And he expects fruitfulness. And Jesus said, I'm the true vine. In other words, Jesus will definitely, in Jesus, there will be a lot of fruit because as the true vine, he can guarantee what Israel couldn't, the fruitfulness. The reason he can guarantee because Jesus and the Father is one. Right? That makes sense. So, it will always be there. The, the, the fruit will always be there. Now, you and I, we have the privilege to produce fruit, not because we have our own root, but Jesus. Because we are the branches. We don't have to dig the ground. Jesus will do that because he is the vine. The vine. So he's going to be the, the fruit. Now, he said in verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. 
or like in verse 6, ultimately thrown into the fire and burnt. Right? And every branch that does bear fruit, uh, fruit, he prunes it with the purpose that it may bear more fruit. Now, I want you to, to just think about this. Both of them are being cut from the vine. But there are two different cuttings. Whether you bear fruit or whether you don't bear fruit, whether you're fruitful or you're not, or you're fruitless, both of you, both branches get cut off. But there are different methods of cutting. The one that's been cutting away to be thrown away and burned into the fire. But when you bear fruit, he will still cut you, but there's a specific way of cutting somebody who's bearing fruit. I remember the first time I came to Australia, I mean, being in Australia, Dan and I, we were living, this is like early in, in the 80s, and we were renting a house in Bowen, and it's beautiful uh, bush of rose, just beautiful. And in winter, we, you know, they, they prune the, 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 the rose bush. And I remember the first year, I, I, I thought, oh, just prune, easy, just cut it, you know, pew. And I hacked that thing, <laughs> nearly died, nearly killed it, <laughs> because I didn't know how to do it. And then so my neighbor, who was a kin gardener, came to me. He said, Bram, that's not how you do it. And he, he came to me and he said, okay, look at this. He said, see that, that, that branch going up there? See that, that bud? It, it looks pink. You know, in the middle of this brown sort of branch, brown, brown twig. He said, see, see that, 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 that bud thing? Just cut above it, prune. And be careful, don't touch it because it's tender. It's very, you know, it's very tender. Just don't, don't, don't touch it. Just cut above it. And, uh, and I realized, actually, yeah, just like this, like this story. If it, there's no fruit, that's it. That's, it's useless. So that's why it's cut off and being thrown away. But whatever life-giving uh, signals in your life, the life of God, doesn't matter how insignificant it may be, it is there, God is not cut at all. He's going to cut just above it because he wants you to be more fruitful. You know, sometimes we go through our life, and let me ask you this, when you, when you prune a tree, what time of the year do you normally do it? In winter. All right? What happened in winter to a tree? It's like there's nothing there. There's no fruit. There's no even leaf. There's nothing. But there, there's life in that tree. And God can see it. And he would cut just above it. So here's the thing. Sometimes I, I feel like, Lord, whether it's church or my own life, it's like the pruning of God in my life. It's like, Lord, I feel like there's nothing left in me and you're cut a little bit of here and there in my life. I've got nothing left. What is it, Lord? You know? Sometimes it happens in our lives. You feel like God is cutting things off from you. No, no, no. The reason he, he does that because he wants you to bear more fruit. Because here's the thing. Often we go through that time of pruning of God in our lives, and we focus on the cutting. It's like, God, you're cutting me. 
No, rather than rejoicing, the reason God is doing that because we were bearing fruit. When you go through that season, rejoice. God, I thank you that I was bearing fruit. You're doing this to me because you want me to bear more fruit. Things happen in your life. In our church, it's like, God, you know, sometimes in ministries, like, we're losing people. It's like, you know, we're just losers. God said, no, 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 you were bearing fruit. I just want you to bear more fruit. That's why I cut certain things in your life. And here's the thing. Like that, that next, next door neighbor of me, he said, because when I saw that little pink dot on the, it just looked like a dot on a, on a twig. And I said, that looks like nothing. He said, no, 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 no. It looks like nothing, but it's life. It will be beautiful. You know the scripture in the gospel where it says, a bending reed he will not break. And a smoking, uh, what, what do you call it? He will not extinguish. A smoking what? Yeah. Smoking weak. Yes, right. Smoking weak he will not extinguish. Neither will he break a bending reed. Whatever this potential that, that God has deposited in you, it might look to you like it, it, it is not significant, but God knows there's potential in there. So when you feel like God, like you're going through winter time, and it's like there's nothing left in you, it's like, God, I feel like there's nothing left in me. But I feel like there's a cutting in me. No, 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 no. Just prepare for the next season. It's a season of multiplication and fruitfulness in your life. As a branch, or as branches, our job is to abide in him, verse 4. Like we, we, as we read in verse 5, because apart from him, we can do nothing. Here's the thing. That, what that says to me is, my goal and my focus then should not be fruitfulness, but the abiding We always, often we compare ourselves with other people according to, oh, you know, I need to have fruit. No, no, just do what you're responsible, you're responsible to do. Your, our responsibility is in the abiding. And then fruit is the overflow of the abiding. It's like cause and effect. You take care of the cause, you get the effect. Right? Everything, whether it's ministry, whether whatever it is that we do in our lives, should be the overflow of our abiding in Jesus. Let's just take care of this word abiding. What does Jesus really mean? Verse 7 to 12. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. 
In other words, if you abide in Jesus, whatever Jesus has, we will have it too, you know. Because whatever the, the main trunk has, the branches will have it too. Because the main trunk is the conduit to bring all the nutrients from the ground to the branch. So, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Okay, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, I want you to underline that or highlight or whatever you do with your, with your phone, smartphone, iPad, whatever, notebooks. If you abide in my, my commandments, you will abide in my love just if I have kept my, my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So here's the thing. There are two kinds of abiding. Jesus' kind of abiding in us and our kind of abiding in him. Jesus abides in us because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember, we read chapter, chapter 14 and chapter 16. His abiding in us is because, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Us abiding in him, not just through the power of the Holy Spirit, but us keeping his words. It's a two different kind of abiding. Jesus abides in us, and Jesus actually said it to, to, uh, in, in, in that verse. He said, even him abiding in God by keeping God's commandments. That's what he said. Just like he abides in God by keeping God's commandments, so too you and not abide in Jesus by keeping his words. He abides in us by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the presence of the Holy Spirit. So, that's the thing. People say, you know, I abide in Jesus. It's not like a, what, what do you call, uh, it's not like a, natural relationship that we have in, in the world. It's just like we just hang out together. No, no, no. Jesus said, you want to abide in me? Keep my words. Keep my commandments. And then he, he became more specific. What is his commandments? Verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone who lays down his life for his friends. I want to say this. Abiding in Jesus can only be accurately understood and experienced in the context of our relationship, not just with him, but with one another. I mean, that's what the word says. Abiding in Jesus, I'll say it again can only be understood, accurately understood, and experienced through our relationship, not just with him, but with one another. In other words, that, that is, this passage, what it's, what, it, what it's saying is, God does not make room for independent spirituality. Just me and Jesus, just me and Jesus. No, no, no. The fruit of your relationship with Jesus is what, what do you do with, with, the, with your neighbors? As a matter of fact, this one interesting verse, statement of Jesus in, chapter, in verse 14, 
Listen carefully. I'm going to read it very slowly. Okay, verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Wow. No longer do I call you servants for the servants that does not know what his master is doing. I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. Whoa. This idea, it's like it totally removes from the norm of humanistic idea of friendship. Jesus defines friendship in a totally different way. Jesus said, no, do you do what I I ask you to do? Yeah, you're my friend. So really, it brings the whole friendship in this context. It's like true friendship can only happen when actually both parties do the word of God. So that's why, you know, a few weeks ago, three weeks ago, I said, sometimes people think church is about community. It's like, you know, it's all about, you know, it's all equality and we all love God. We all, no, 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 but somehow somebody needs to hold you accountable to the word of God. You have to open yourself. If it's all just friends, like, you know, we're not, we're not, we're not different to any other community, any other club, whatever it is. What distinguishes us from other organizations, other clubs, other communities is that somehow there's an openness in individuals to actually be held accountable according to the word of God. Somebody needs to be able to say something into your life. I want to say this. I don't believe in independence. I believe in being interdependent. Does that make sense? That's when I make a, make a distinction between autonomous to independence. Autonomous means self-governing. But in this self-governing, I need others to tell me because I have blind spots everywhere. Somebody needs to tell me where my blind spot is. If you don't believe you have blind spots, that's your blind spots right there. (laughs) Okay, let's talk about fruitfulness. What is fruit? The life of a tree, there are, on, on three le- there are three levels in the life of a tree. First, you know, the, the tree will, will, will draw substance, food, and all those things from the ground, all the goodness from the ground. And, it, and if it draws enough, it will start with just survive. The tree will survive. If it's just enough to survive, the first level. And that's why many, in, if you go to many dry grounds outside, you know, out of town, many trees are not very tall because they're just, they're very short because they only have food enough just for it to survive. But for it to grow, it needs to draw more food. After, you know, you've got enough to survive, you need to keep growing, and then 
uh, to, you, you, need, you keep, keep eating and drawing the, the, the food from the ground, then you start to grow because you don't need it for survival, for survival anymore. Here's the thing. God has not called you and I to be surviving Christians. It's not enough just to survive as Christians. But there's a next level where as Christians we need to grow. So you grow because once you've drawn the, the, the substance from the ground enough, more than, than enough to, to survive, now you start to grow. But the Bible also asks us to not to stop there. It's not enough for Christians just to grow. I just want to grow. I just want to grow. No, no, no. You need to go to the next level where once the tree has drawn enough substance, more than what's needed to survive, more than what is needed to grow, then he doesn't need anything more, then guess what? The surplus of that substance that, that that tree draws from the ground becomes the fruit. The fruit is actually the surplus. My question is this. Dalam bahasa Indonesia, bahan makan cadangan. Buah is bahan makan cadangan. Surplus. Now, the fruit of the tree, the very existence of the fruit of a tree, its benefit is for everything other than the tree itself. Are you guys getting this? A mango tree doesn't need mango. I need mango. <laughs> I need the mangoes. The birds need to eat the mangoes. Possums need to eat the mangoes. The trees don't need to eat the mangoes. So what I'm trying to, to say is this. A fruitful life means you've got something that you, sell, you yourself don't need, but others actually benefit from who you are. Now that, the Bible says that is the life of a disciple. The life of a disciple is that not that you can do whatever you can, but the thing is that you have to, it boils down to this question, if I am a disciple of Jesus, I'm going to ask myself a question, do others benefit from my life, my spirituality? Do others benefit from my spirit-filled living. Jesus said, every tree is just by its fruit. That's why, you know, we don't say this much, but this is, this is our practice. Ministry, and, and often, you know, the churches, the way the church, churches have been, 
sometimes we we have to be careful. In, you know, we, we we are great in we are in in organizing our church. We are professional in many ways, but. While the world's business, you know, they appoint people to a position because of their resume, right? But the church, in ministry, we appoint people not to prove their fruit. We appoint people because of their fruit. We assign, so the appointment comes because of the fruit. Like we put people on leadership because we watch the fruit in their lives. It's like we don't give you title and therefore you have to prove that you are. You know, like a good example in the Bible, someone like Paul, he was planting churches here and there. He was just getting, you know, getting church raised and then Looking back, it's like, I'm called to be an apostle. It's like, he saw this fruit. Well, that's what I do. They didn't say, you are an apostle. So, you know, plant churches. No, no, he planted churches and then realized that he was an apostle. You don't just get, you know, make a business card and say, I'm an evangelist, and then you go to evangelize. No, no, you actually... That is part of your life. It's the natural overflow of your relationship with Jesus and the expression of that. So all of a sudden, you, you see people get saved left, right, and center without having any recognition. And then, oh, wow, I just realized I've got a gift of evangelism. So the appointment in, in the church should be a recognition rather than a recognition of something already has happened, of the fruit rather than giving the, the, the job so you have to prove yourself. Uh, this, this, this idea of us asking yourself, you know, who benefits from my life? You know, it's really... Uh, We're living in this individualistic society. And everybody say, everybody, even in churches, God has a dream for you. God wants you to, you know, you need to live out your dream. Oh, that all sounds great. But I want to say this. I pray to God. I mean, this is just recently, last few months. I say, God, whatever dream I have, that's not good enough. I want to live out your dream. I want to be part of your dream. Because you are so great. Your dream kind of going to make me bigger. You know? Your dream, serving your dream, going to make me a better person, better, greater person. If I just say my own, have my own dreams, like, so what? Everybody does that. I want to be an extraordinary believer who serves God's dream. If God is so great, his dream must be great. And therefore, anyone who pursues his dream will become greater. 
God dreams will take you to a different sphere that you would never dream. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, I believe. He can do all things beyond what you can think, what you can imagine, or ask him for. I'll say it again. God can do things beyond what we can think, or imagine, or ask. Just close your eyes, close your eyes. And think of, of something that you think God wants to do for you. Imagine the wildest thing, the wildest thing, okay? The wildest thing that you think God can do if you serve him in, the, in his course. Just the wildest thing, crazy thing. Okay. You're done? Open your eyes now. That scripture that I just quoted, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, doesn't matter how wild your imagination is, it says God can do more than that. It says, whatever, how wild your imagination just, you just imagined there, it says he can do beyond that. How is he going to do that? In the same verse, how is he going to do that? According to the power where? That works in us. Not according to anything. Not according to my talent. Not according to my whatever, my gift. He says he can do all those things according to the power. Not power out there. Not power anywhere else. Power that lies right in us that God has invested inside of us. But, even then, so that others may benefit from us. Let's all stand up. I believe this is what abundant life is all about. This is the promise of Jesus of abundant life. We are so fruitful that everyone around us benefits from our relationship with Jesus. Let's just sing that song, I will pray, I will bless the Lord. Is that I will bless the Lord? Yeah. Just, just hit it. Don't kind of sit in, just, just, just bang. <laughs> Oh.